Hello again, this is Charlie Belfontaine, and you're listening to the Home Buyers Hour on WCPT AM 820, where the facts matter. Um, we got a little bit of a late start this morning, but nonetheless, we're going to make everything happen. I'm thrilled to have Ryan McCain in the studio with us today. And Ryan, if you don't mind, I'd like to know a little bit more about you. I know you work for Redfin, and... I, you know, something else, too, that we didn't really discuss, but I, I know there's a hierarchy in, in Redfin. I just don't understand it, right? Okay. <laughs> and I, I'd like to know a little bit about you, a little bit about Redfin, and where's your level in that hierarchy spot? Okay. Does that make sense, that question? Yeah, that makes, uh, that makes absolute sense. Um, like, uh, like Charlie said, uh, my name is Ryan McCain. I've been in real estate now for this is, I'm going into my 20th year, um, which is crazy to think about, but, uh, this will be my sixth year with Redfin. Uh, I serve mostly the, the North side of Chicago, but also the suburbs as well. Um, and to answer your question about the hierarchy. So there are, um, there are what are called lead agents, which are basically those are um, those are basically the the people that um, that you know you would consider a quote unquote traditional real estate agent. Um, and then there's there's different levels to that depending on your volume and your production, um, and you can become uh, what I'm called is a, uh, a principal agent. So I don't remember the exact numbers or volume you have to hit to, <clears throat> to achieve that, but I'm considered a principal listing agent. Um, and then underneath me are independent contractors known as associate agents. So when you're going out and looking at homes, uh, the associate agents are typically the ones you're going to interact with. They're the ones that will be there for showings uh, when lead agents such as myself cannot be present. So that's kind of gives you a good idea of, of how it's structured. No, that gives us a great idea. I really appreciate that. And then in the studio also, we have Patrick Loftus of Loftus Law. You know the routine Patrick is, is being a regular here every week. Uh, let everybody know how special you are, how special I think you are. Good morning. I am Patrick Loftus from Loftus Law. I am a real estate lawyer. And if you want to talk to a real estate lawyer or text with one, you could do that at 773 632 8330. Terrific. And Joey, if you don't mind, give us a little rundown on your business and who you are and why you're my favorite. Well, I'm your favorite because I'm on right now, but uh, my name is Joey Matthews. <laughs> I think I just got called out, Joey. <laughs> I'm all right with that. It's all good. Uh, Joey Matthews, NMLS, 1330694, the VA loan nerd. I am uh, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a nerd. I mean, and, and my nerdiness allows me to do well at mortgage stuff. So I think that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. I love it. And one of the things, if you don't mind, I, I want to find out what's going on in the rates. But I've been reading a couple things where it says that just because the interest rates are going up, so, you know, I guess there's going to be another small raise. 25 fifths, yep. Yeah, so they say just because it's going up, that doesn't always mean that the real estate mortgages go up with it. Sometimes they Correct. go down. How, yeah. Can you just give me a short class? So, you know, again, somebody has no knowledge on this whatsoever. How does what affects the rates and and think, how does the Fed? I'm sorry, please. No, I, th I think at the end of the day, the the key word is stability. When uh, when the markets believe that we are hitting a a plateau in terms of this inflation, and now and now actually, uh, when the Fed had their meeting and they the, and Jerome Powell spoke uh, last week, um, the and when I say last week, I mean last uh, February second. He, say, he said the word disinflation several times, and the market reacted heavily as if he was saying deflation, which he wasn't. Um, and we actually saw a monster one-day drop in rates. And, I mean, I locked a few loans in the low fives, you know. Uh, and then the following day, the jobs report came out and just dropped an atomic bomb on all that good news, right? So, <laughs> it, 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 And now today, rates are right back to where they were the day before the Fed met. So right. it's um, – 
the Fed funds rate is the cost to borrow money uh, essentially for companies, right? So it affects their cost to hire. It affects anytime they're borrowing money from the Fed, right? Because that's what they have to repay. Um, does it inherently affect mortgage rates? No. Uh, does it vicariously? Yes, because it affects how people are buying and selling bonds. It affects the stock market. It, it affects stability. People want stability. And when they see inflation numbers dropping and hopefully getting back down to that that magical three number that they, they'd like to be at, we'll, we'll see rates start to come down with it. When, and, and, and one of the things that I like to point out, and it's an easy way kind of to track mortgage rates or has been in the past up until recently. Uh, when you're looking at the 10-year treasury yield, like right now it's trading at a 3.6. In, in history, mortgage rates are typically going to be about, 30-year mortgage rates are typically gonna be about 2% above that, right? Uh, it's it's a very That's rough actually gauge. pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's a very rough gauge. Right now, they're floating at three percent above it uh, on average, usually. Um, but yeah, it, for for one day, we got back to that two percent number, and then and then the jobs report happened, and and we went right back up to that three percent over. So, nice. yeah, mortgage nerd stuff. I love Ima- mortgage nerd stuff. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> thinking about adding half a million jobs in January, and then and having it be a terrible thing. Yeah. Oh, what bad news <laughs> with all these jobs that we add right? to the economy. It's uh, oh, God. you know we're we're still we're still dealing with the aftershocks of all of the levers that got pulled for COVID and you know it's mm-hmm. there's there's really not any historical precedent for it so we kind of just have to ride it out I mean it you know the Fed's doing what their their best uh, to do what what their mandate is and um, you know just be interested be curious uh, you know don't freak out this is this is all just interesting stuff no absolutely and just uh you know. One of the things about everybody on this show that we bring in here is is they kind of have to volunteer their time as well. So nobody gets paid really to be here. It's Wait, also what? the real estate agent. I'm <laughs> sorry. Heck of a time, of a time yeah, to drop that on Don't me. go yeah, running yeah. out on me now. Well, but ya. if you ever do have any <laughs> questions, each one of these per- people on here, they're all, including myself, we're going to answer anything. You know, the goal is to basically... You know, I, I think it's to protect uh, the consumers in a nutshell. You know, I, I try to circle myself around experts in the fields, and I want people to value my clients as much as I value my clients. And one of the conversations I attended a, a conference, I, I guess you would call it for real estate agents and other professionals yesterday, and we were talking about the market and how the you know, basically what's to be expected. And Ryan, I'm gonna direct this to you in a second, but I know that we've had a bunch of home inspectors come into our profession. Everybody thinks they're a marketing genius because (laughs) they all made money over the last two years. And I'm afraid to say, and please tell me I'm wrong, I'm afraid to say that they're going to get their eyes opened up real soon. Well, I love the uh, the Warren Buffett quote that is, uh, when the tide goes out, we find out who is swimming naked. So when the market gets a little bit difficult, it's going to weed out a lot of people. You're going to see a lot of people leaving the industry, I feel. Um, but uh, but generally speaking, uh, you know, with the strong jobs report and just looking at the economy in general, um, I mean, I, I personally am not seeing a huge decline in our market. Sure, pricing will will adjust uh, with the higher interest rates, but the thing that that always drives a market, no matter what the inventory levels are, is demand. I mean, you can have all the houses in the world, and if nobody wants them, well, the market's going to not be great. So, uh, but that being said, when I, when you look at the numbers. Uh, especially in our market, I'm I'm not seeing the huge gloom and doom that we're seeing in other markets. But our market before the pandemic, our our average year over year appreciation was anywhere between one and one and a half percent, not stellar. And I, I've I've said this before, but when you look at markets like San Francisco, Miami, New York, San Diego, Seattle, those markets are like Ferraris, whereas our market's like a Honda Civic. It it's not flashy, it's not pretty, it's not exciting. It gets you from point A to point B, and it's consistent. And it's uh, one of the most popular vehicles out there. 
either. Exactly. And it's maybe because I own one. I don't know. <laughs> but it's like I see them everywhere. Right, right. You know, but they're nice cars at an affordable price. Yeah, yeah. not only that, you see them 15 years old right. everywhere. Right. Yeah, we, we don't do the boom and bust here like no. they do in Vegas and Florida right. and other places. Right. And we have, you know, all the, um, all the underlying fundamentals and metrics that create a strong uh, real estate market are, are prevalent in Chicago. Um, but when I talk to agents around the country, because I'm, uh, I have a, a real estate coach, Joshua Smith, and uh, in his coaching group are, are agents from all over the country. And I asked this question in our group uh, last week or so. I just flat out said, hey, I'm hearing all this doom and gloom all over the country, but I'm not seeing it in my market. What's going on in your market? And what I found is that, uh, yes, there were some agents that said, yeah, our market's in a decline. We can't give houses away. Um, there's a surplus of inventory. Whereas other agents were saying, seeing the same thing that we're seeing here in Chicago. They were saying, no, I'm, we're still seeing multiple offer situations. Homes are selling as soon as they get on the market. Um, we're seeing appraisal gap waivers. People are waiving inspections. So the, if I had to uh, to identify a trend, it would be that the markets that were uh, especially frothy over the last few years, markets like Phoenix, um, San Francisco, uh, other than Florida, uh, I have to you almost have to leave Florida out of almost all conversations because it's kind of an anomaly and an outlier. But the markets that were especially frothy over the last few years are are seeing the biggest decline. And I can say for the case of Phoenix, for example, um, Phoenix, about 50%, I want to say, these are just uh, rough numbers, but about 50% of the home buyers uh, that were active in the last few years there were investors. They're air, they're looking to really? Airbnb. Yeah, and but my, isn't that all the way across the nation too? I've heard this in many areas. So it's it's interesting. Uh, over the last few years, there's been a big influx of. Uh, private equity groups that have been snatching up blocks and whole, whole entire neighborhoods um and i'm <laughs> i'm a a fan of uh government being small enough that you can drown it in a bathtub i think the government should stay out of most things however uh if that were to continue, I would say there may need uh, there may need to be some government uh, intervention there. For example, in Indiana, um, my uh, my brother's uh, my brother's mother in law is an agent there. She was telling me that uh, private equity groups like BlackRock uh, they were buying up about twenty five percent of the available inventory, and they're not buying it. And fixing it up and flipping it, they're buying it and then fixing it up and then running it at rental rates that are way above market. So you're taking what is already a pretty tight inventory situation and making it even worse. Now, here's one of the rare cases where here in Chicago, our insanely high property taxes and uh, and and uh, landlord tenant ordinance that really favors the tenants more than landlords has actually helped us because a lot of private capital groups have stayed out of Illinois and stayed out of Chicago because they don't they don't want to deal with that. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, I would say overall, uh, when you look at the numbers and when you look at what's going on right now in our market, I I'm not seeing there may be a small price correction, but I think overall our market is going to. Pretty much behave like it did pre-pandemic, meaning January through June are still going to be hot months. Uh, there's going to be a lot of sales, a lot of activity, not a lot of inventory. Things are going to slow down in the summer and then kind of gradually taper into the fall and winter markets. That's kind of that's kind of my prediction. You know, I I heard uh, some stories, or I heard at least one story about in one of these institution institutional type investors literally hiring a developer to build them one of these subdivisions with the, with the explicit stated purpose of we're going to operate this as a rental community. Mm -hmm. um, something no. that you might see like them do with an apartment, they're doing with single-family de detached whole communities, which, um, I mean, certainly there's 
there's a, a, a need to a certain point for rental housing. Not everyone is going to be a homeowner, statistically speaking. But yeah. Right, but it, isn't that, are they talking short term rentals like Airbnb stuff? No. Permanent rentals, long term yeah. rentals. Yeah. yeah. But Ryan, you were sharing with us some data earlier about. Um, the, the inventory levels and, and to me that that tells a really it paints a really clear picture about where our market is at this point in time yeah so uh, since I have it in front of me right now uh, in the entire I'll just deal mostly with single-family homes um, but right now in our market to as of I should say as of January, because that's the last complete month where we can pull data from. Uh, we were looking at just over 13,000 available single-family homes in our in our MLS market. Uh, compared that to last year, where there was 14,000, and so that's about a 5% decrease in available inventory. And again, I always like to compare things to 2019 or 2018, back when things were quote-unquote normal. Um, But back in January of 2019, we had 32,000 available single-family homes. So that's a a 58% decrease in available inventory. But when you look at closed sales, closed sales back in January of 2019, you saw about 86,000 closed sales. Last January, there's 102,000 closed sales. This year, we're seeing 82,000 closed sales. So- And that's uh, just the city of Chicago, which are- yeah, that's the entire MLS where our MRED MLS. So that does pull oh, okay. from some of the suburbs. Okay. Um, but um, but that being said, I mean the the story that we're seeing right now in our market is there's there's fewer homes available, but people are still buying them. Essentially, I mean it's uh, in my own practice. I. I, I had uh, I've had listings that I could not give away last year that are getting a lot of activity. One of which had multiple offers on it. Wow. Um, and unless there's some sort of unforeseen economic event, I, I just don't see a huge decline in in housing prices or uh, just activity in general. Uh, on the horizon, I'm just uh, just basically just looking at the data. It's not supporting that. Yeah, the, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Pedro. Yeah, the, the the more I do this, the more it seems to me that the demand seems fairly consistent. It's really the inventory that is in effect holding things back. And we talked about some of perhaps the more structural reasons that uh, we'll get into an entirely different topic. So I, I don't want to steer us away because. Even Let it go I, where it goes. Even though I love doing that, but um, <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's really to me the the inventory tells a, a really really uh, important story. Yeah, and it's um, you know, and and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a synergistic problem. I mean, you've got you've got builders that are not building right now uh, because they're a little gun shy of what happened in two thousand eight. Even though those conditions and, and the issues that led to that are no longer in existence. I mean, it's fifteen years ago. Yeah, but you know, people have. Uh, People have long memories when yeah. you know, that, pain, that trauma lives I, in your mind. I was gonna say, pain, it was traumatic. I lived through it too. Yeah, yeah. But um, but but now the problem is more so. You've got uh, you know a traditional home seller is also a traditional home buyer, and even Good for point. myself, um, I have a few clients that are in this situation. So you've got so many people that bought in the last few years. That uh, that are now locked in at crazy low rates, so they're not going to sell because one, they're locked into this rate, but two, when they go to sell, they've got nowhere to go. So I've got I've got clients right now that are in that holding pattern. They're like, we don't want to list because then we don't we won't have anywhere to go buy. So it kind of feeds you know it's a, like I said it's a synergistic problem wherein. Uh, you know, if people don't have a place to go, they're not going to list their home. So inventory is kind of stagnant and remains flat. Yeah, it gets backed up a little bit. The, the way I see that problem is uh, I, I would compare it to the frog in the frying pan. Mm-hmm. These people, um, they're more or less content to ride out where they're at because it's working. However, their families are going to grow. They're going to take jobs that require an insane commute. Um as life progresses, as their lives move forward, uh, and this housing situation 
becomes less and less uh, conducive to a happy life, you're going to see people start to become less and less enamored with that interest rate and more and more interested. And, and yeah, that's not going to happen next month, but I think it'll happen sooner than, than people necessarily believe. Um, those interest rates are great, but it's also nice to have a, a home that, that fits your needs. Right. And I was going to, you know, to, to piggyback on your point, we, we live in a very consumeristic society. Uh, you know, people, when they get sick of something, they're going to want something bigger and better, and eventually they're going to have to sell. Um, you know, and there's always the, I feel like the biggest um, kind of misconception or, um, you know, belief that a lot of people have is they'll say something along the lines of, uh, you know, I'll, if I can't sell or if I don't want to sell at that point, I'm just going to rent it out. And I would say 99% of the time when that when that point arrives, people don't want to do it. No one wants, yeah. you know, people don't want to be landlords. They want to they want to be done to move on. Um, but yeah, I, I think people are going to always have that need that they're or that want. I should say that they're going to want to upgrade. They're going to want a bigger, better house. They want to keep up with the Joneses. And then at, when they kind of reach that inflection point, that's when they'll sell. You know, and and I'm thrilled. And I do this in my business. Patrick, do you chart your the amount of clients that you had month by month, year by year, week by week? Do you do that? No. No. <laughs> Joey, are you able to go back and look at graphs and stuff like that for for your past clients over past few years? Yeah, that's that's all kept in a database. As we do for too. Sure. And yeah. now how one of the things that that Ryan mentioned was he's comparing this year uh, to 2019 numbers, all right? Which I think is super smart. I, Patrick, I think you mentioned also 18. You yeah. know, two good years that were kind of what I would consider normal years. 2008, I get it. It was a bomb. You know, nothing really happened. And then the last two years, I think it was stupid crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, and then anybody who hung up a shingle thought they were super successful. How do you see, Joey, you know, where you're doing and and I know for me it's a roller coaster. I'm hoping the same thing for you week by week. How do you see the transactions moving along? Yeah, um, gosh, I, 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 I see an inventory issue, obviously, because, uh, I mean, just the last three days alone, I've had 18 apps come in, pre-approval go out. Wow. Been, yeah, oh, my, we've, I, I, and for me, that's incredibly busy. Like, an app a day is great, you know, but when you're, you're getting six, apps a day on average at the beginning of the week. Uh, I mean, and I know I got, I, I'm literally texting with other people like, Hey, my friend's also going to do an app. My friend's going to do an app, blah, blah, blah. But so there's a lot of buyers that want to be back in the market. Right. And the people that I talked to last year that did buy are very fortunate that they did because there will be an opportunity to refinance. And I think the best time to buy is when rates are high because you're going to have less competition. You're going to get better deals on the house. So as rates come down, we're going to go right back into that, 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 uh, competitive environment again, which I mean, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But at the end of the day, we need the inventory to come up 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 out of the market. And as Brian said, it's tough to convince people to get out of their two and move into a a five or a six. So, well, I, th- yeah. I think people are also very conditioned. And I I said this I say this every week. We're very conditioned to buy something based on the monthly payment, and at the same yeah. time, we're we're also trying to look at buying real estate as an investment. Those two things can be at odds um, when you're thinking to yourself, well, my interest rate is X and so my monthly payment is Y. Yeah. If you're not taking into consideration how much overall you're paying, you're not going to be disappointed while you own that property. You're going to be disappointed when you go to sell. And that, I think, kind of uh, it's consistent with what Joey just said, which is that when rates are high and you have less competition, the price you pay, and the, uh, as opposed to the price you sell it for, th- those are going to be more advantageous for you overall. And Patrick, if people want to get hold of you, how do they reach you? You can find me at loftus.law. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, I know you all do. Loftus <laughs> underscore law. I was able to I confirm follow you on that. Instagram. You do. I've got like 36 followers. It's uh, We'll get you up to a million. It's about You're to on be your 37. Way. I'm going oh, nice. to follow you right now. <laughs> awesome. We're going to get you up to a million. Oh, this is great. Right? This is totally worth it. Joey, anybody has any questions about mortgages and stuff like that? And let me just throw out there that 
you know, even though you do all types of mortgages, I really want to push that you are so passionate and knowledgeable about VA mortgages. It's it's second to none. But how do people get hold of you? Well, you can reach me uh, by my phone, call or text anytime, 630-235-2405. Or you could go to the VALoneNerd.com or find me on social, the VA Lone Nerd, across all social media stuff. I'm loving it. And again, my name is Charlie Belfontaine. Our company is Chicagoland Home Inspectors. Our website is www.thehomeinspectors, and that's plural, O-R-S, and it's a .com. Our phone number is 312-544-9180. We're going to start posting more classes for real estate agents and home inspectors and hopefully more avenues on the Home Inspection University of Illinois. That's H-I-U-I-L.com. And Ryan, if you don't mind, give us the contact information for you too, please. Sure. Again, my name is Ryan McCain. You can follow me on socials at RPM Chicago, just like the restaurants, but I am not the restaurant. (laughs) They're probably very annoyed with you that you got that IP. (laughs) Funny story about that. So I used to be in commercial real estate. I worked for CBRE. And um, uh, one of the uh, one of the principal owners. This was back, gosh, in 2010 or 2011. But uh, Bill Rancic was one of our clients. I'd, I've never met him, but we actually grew up in the same uh, hometown, Orland Park. Went to the same high school, but I, I don't know him. And um, one of the uh, people on our team that was dealing with them told them that yeah there's somebody that works here that has the rpm chicago all the social media handles and uh i told him i said look i would gladly sell it or give it to him if he wants it but i never heard anything but yeah i love waking up on a on a sunday morning and see all the i get tagged on so many different <laughs> things that i'm like no that's not me trust me uh if you were to come over to my house you'd be eating pop tarts so don't <laughs> You know, Pop-Tarts and protein shakes, so you don't want me cooking for you. But uh, RPM Chicago is my social media. Uh, My cell is 708-668-6613, or you can reach me at ryan.mccain at redfin.com. You should just start posting pictures of, like, real janky-looking steaks no, and pasta. That. Just like, oh, look at no. that. Look at, look you at this. You should go over there and, and see what you could do to get free meals yeah. out of them for yeah. a little bit of advertising. Right, right. So what did... You know, you mentioned something earlier about, and Patrick kind of threw this in there too, you know, motivating the sellers, you know, and and I'm a real stickler when it comes to two different words and knowing the difference between them, and that's motivating and manipulating. Mm. Um, I can't stand that word, mm-hmm. manipulate, or I don't want to be manipulated. I hate the hard sales. Right. I think we had that conversation. Everyone likes to buy, but no one likes to be sold. Exactly. Yep. You know, but we want to be able to do our own choice. So... You know, in this situation, what are what are some of the things that you explain to somebody why it is a good decision? What information can you share with me as a homeowner that would motivate me to want to sell? All right. Why now is a good time and why now waiting is bad? Well, the the first question I start with is what are your goals? Like, what are you trying to do? What do you want to accomplish? If somebody says to me, um, you know, we're thinking about we're thinking about selling in the next few years. We're not sure if right now is a good time or not. And then I would just say to them, well, you know, if you're in a position where maybe you can rent for a year or so, I would say go ahead and sell now. And the reason for that is because the market is still very hot. We nobody knows what's going to happen in the future, um, so the market's still hot. And if you can, if you can, even though rental rates are up significantly, if you can go rent something for a year until the market cools down, theoretically, if it does or it doesn't. But let me jump on that before you go further. You know, I'm also hearing that big organizations are buying up houses and turning them into rentals and the rentals are super high so they're not flooding the market with rentals that are bringing the rentals down you know that's still going up there but we're removing houses from the circulation that people could purchase right you know to me that's that kind of makes the prices go up and my my brain screwy or well, what well it's you know it's kind of a multifaceted question so some people some people are just never going to buy a home. That's just not, you know, they'd rather 
allocate their assets or resources in other places, other investments. Um, so some people are just going to stay renters. Um, but um, but then you know when you when you deplete that available inventory, turn it into rentals. That takes that off the market. But then the other the other kind of component is you know if somebody if with the with the tight inventory, there's a big misconception where and I've had sellers say this to me and I've had to tell them otherwise. There's a big misconception that when there's tight inventory, well beggars can't be choosers, so people have to buy my house even though it's a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, over market and the kitchen hasn't been updated since Reagan was president. No, it, you know when there's tight inventory, um, buyers aren't just aren't just going to buy what's ever available. That just doesn't work that way. If some some people will say, I've got a buyer right now who is like, if I find the right house at the right price, I'll buy it. But if not, I'll just continue to rent or stay in my condo. Um, I know the last two years are going to argue with you on that one. Yeah, I mean, there's, no. I mean, there's certainly, there certainly was a large percentage of buyers that were, you know, kind of quote unquote impulse buyers. They, you know, they, they saw how hot the market was, and you know, people just wanted to go out and buy a house, take advantage. They were missing of, out, right? right? And they want to take advantage of the low rates. But then you do have, you've got a a, a good contingent of buyers that, because the rates have gone up. And prices really haven't adjusted dramatically yet. They're kind of priced out of the market. They don't, you know, they they either can't qualify for the program that they once qualified for, or the monthly payment just doesn't make sense to them. So, uh, you know, the the buyers that are out there that are qualified, motivated, ready to go, they are going to continue to snatch up that available inventory. So, um, you know, that's kind of the the components that are still playing into. Uh, the the uh, the the housing prices not really dropping dramatically in our market. Yeah, if your house is a donkey, the market's not going to help you one right. way or the other. Um, <laughs> now, how often do you hear this? And and I apologize in advance if this triggers you, mm-hmm. but you get a seller who says something along the lines of, "Well, if I don't get." X number and X is always way too much. Right. Then I don't have to sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll just. They're effectively uh, trying to have their cake and eat it too. Right. How often I used do you those hear exact that? Same how- words when I sold my house down in the book. <laughs> I'm embarrassed now. I'm sorry, Patrick. How often do you hear people say that? And how annoying is it? <laughs> uh, on a, I, I can't. On a scale of one to ten of being annoying, it's about a twenty. Um, and oh, I geez. and I do hear it all the time where people say that. And it's, you know, you kind of have to tell them uh, because being in real estate, you kind of have to remind yourself that the customers that you are working with are not in sales. And what I mean by that is people kind of have this misconception that if I put my home on the market and it doesn't sell and it fails to sell, well, either the real estate agent's not doing his job or, um, you know, the buyers are just stupid and not seeing the value. It's like, well, no, if your home's been on the market for a year and you've maybe not dropped the price or dropped it slowly, that that's a litmus test that tells you okay the the market has spoken it's not you're you're not aligned with what the market sees as the value of your home so it's either you decide that yes you do want to sell and you have to you know uh realign your expectations or um you you, you take it off the market and hope that uh in the next few years that the that appreciation will do its thing and your home will be worth what you think it is worth. <laughs> yeah, what you're hitting on there is is something that um, I like to refer to as, well, okay. So l- let me let me start over. So this this here, what you're describing, is I think one of the key underlying uh, under uh, under understood. It's not understood <laughs> well enough that this what you're describing is exactly the value that a real estate broker brings to the transaction. Um, despite the fact broker. that people overestimate how <laughs> how much expertise they have when it comes to buying or selling a home, when it's your home, you become blinded by certain things. 100%. You oh, yeah. overlook some of the bad aspects of it, you overappreciate some of the good aspects, and you're no longer able to look at it objectively. Mm-hmm. 
And you know, that, it's the same thing. Why it's relationships? Wh- why do uh, a- professional athletes and actors and actresses? Why did they employ agents? It's Good because point. if I walk into the GM's office and I and I'm you know I scored 50 goals last year for uh, the Chicago Blackhawks and I just I set down a, a, a spreadsheet of, of contracts of comparable players, they're going to set down their spreadsheet of who they think are comparable players, and I'm going to be extremely upset because they're going to be comparing me to players that I know I'm much better than. Okay, And it's the same thing in the real estate business. Even though all these comps are available to us uh, th- through our, uh, our, our web browser, we're, we, we're blinded to what is really a true comp. Um, unless you are... A professional real estate investor and can really parse where your weak points are you need someone like Ryan to be by your side to give you the expertise that he had not give you I mean you you, you're employed to do this but it's so important it's um I mean and and that's kind of where where the value of a real estate agent lies we're an impartial third party we're there to give you our expertise and about the market and about uh real estate in general and this is probably going to make some people upset but I'll I use this example very frequently it's very much like when you talk to people about their kids Everybody thinks their kids are amazing, special, unique, the greatest thing on earth. And as somebody who's, you know, that's not their children, they'll say, well, your kid is basically like every other kid I've ever met in my entire life. And all those other kids are (laughs) like every other kid except my children are the best. Exactly. I got it. Exactly. So you Uh have to you have to tell people because they, um, you know, they they see their home every day they don't see what else is out there what else is on the market so that's your job as a real estate agent to say well because when i'm when i'm pricing out a home i look at the closed comps i look at everything everybody else does but you also have to price against competition so you have to look at what else is out there and say okay well is your home worth more than this one that's on the market and if that home's been on the market for 90 days and still hasn't sold and it's a nicer home well what makes you think your home's going to sell before that and you're going to price it over and above that i had a i had a and seller those are long discussions they're not short now they're they're very long and uh hmm. very uh yeah they're they're stressful it's uh i recommend everybody read the book uh Crucial, uh, crucial conversations. It's about how to have difficult conversations with people. But, um, but I had a client last year um, who wanted to sell his home, and when I told him where I think he should price it at, he didn't agree with me, and he was sending me comps of homes that were selling closer to where he wanted to be, closer to the the million dollar price point. And I had to tell him, I said, "Listen, you are looking at comps." that sold you know that either because we were this was in july or august when the market was pretty much dead at that point um but he was looking at comps that were listed and sold before may of last year and i said listen you can't compare your home to homes that sold during that time that was the that was like the last dying breath of the hot market and he said well you really think i i need to price a hundred thousand dollars less than those homes i said yeah i said people people understand the real estate market especially in chicago it shifts hard and it shifts fast like it, it not only be by time but also by location a hundred percent a hundred percent and you've got to when you're looking at closed comps you have to take seasonality into account like i when i look at homes that sold in the fall versus homes that sold in the spring you can't you can't even really compare the two and you have to adjust accordingly um so again that comes down to your market knowledge it comes down to your craft and knowing what you're doing so i'm going to switch the conversation up a little bit we did get a couple of questions online and the first one comes from a a home inspector and it's funny because i wanted to talk about this Mm -hmm. all right and you know so the question is this do you think uh, an inspector's report can create two TOO in all caps many red flags for a buyer and affects the buyer's decision drastically do you think that's why home inspectors often have a hard time getting in front of realtors even after marketing themselves and i think this goes back to you know talking about you used the word alarmist mm-hmm. earlier today mm-hmm. and you know what give me some examples of alarmist and what and then i also want the counters what would you expect 
the home inspector to say. And, and remember, I'm all about truth and education. You know, I don't believe that we're salespeople. I believe we're educators. And if we do our job right, then the client can make that decision intelligently. Sure. And, you know, I think a lot of, you know, when, again, when you're, when you're a professional, it doesn't matter what, you know, business you're in, you kind of, um, you know, you kind of almost lose your self-awareness in some capacities that, you know, like, oh, this isn't a big deal to me, but it's a big deal to somebody else because you don't know what their background is, their psychology and so forth. But I think for when it comes to inspection reports, I think really keeping things you want to you want to educate the buyer as much as you can and point out things that are, are are an actual risk or an actual danger but but you also have to keep in mind that it has a cumulative effect and what i mean by that is if you have a, a an inspection report that's 90 pages long and it lists every little thing it it's it begins to wear on the on the buyer. They're they're looking. They're like you know it could if you're looking at a list of a hundred things, even though ninety nine of those are not a big deal, like GFI outlets or something along those lines. It has a cumulative effect, and people are already in a heightened state of emotion when they're buying a home. And we all know that when people are scared, excited whatever the case may be, when they're at a, a point where they're emotional either way, angry, sad, whatever, your rational thinking goes out the window. And even though a rational, you know, if they were if they were not buying their home, if they were helping somebody else buy their home and they were looking at that list, they'd say, oh, yeah, this isn't a big deal. But when it comes to their home, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, they start seeing that long laundry list of uh, of items, and it begins to have that cumulative effect on them. Um, but I would say if I was a home inspector, just try to do the best you can to differentiate what is an actual concern? What needs to be taken care of immediately versus, you know, what's kind of just cosmetic and what's, you know, not so big of an issue. Um, you know, you can, I, I explained the story earlier, but I had, I've had an inspector my first year back in residential real estate. I had an inspector who was inspecting my listing and the buyer was a first time home buyer. He was a young kid. He was probably like 23. And this home inspector made it sound like this there was a, a light bulb in a closet that didn't have a uh, a lens on it or you know a covering on it this home inspector made it sound like uh this light bulb was going to burn down not only his home but the entire building conflagration yeah awesome. and, and and possibly yeah. kill his firstborn child somehow it's just um so it's really about framing it you know just putting it in the right context and just explaining it to buyers that hey you know this isn't really a concern this is um it, it just you know just I guess really just framing it properly is really the most important part. And, and I'm not a believer in magic words or anything like that when it comes to it. And I am the, the guy that makes the long list. I mm -hmm. believe that the people that hire us, that's why they hire us. Mm -hmm. So the real question is, how do we classify the big deals? And not we. And when I say we, I'm talking about you mm -hmm. and Patrick and even you, Joey. You know, I'm talking about all of us as a team. How do you classify you know, the defects and how do we educate the client and without trying to manipulate anybody, but more or less trying to educate them. Like you mentioned GFIs. GFIs are a big deal to me, but it's $25 right. is what it is to fix the problem, right? So because I think it's serious and it can and, and, and they're needed, but the repair itself is, is relatively nothing, yeah. right? So what do you think is, and this goes to everybody, what do you think is our best avenue to go ahead and educate clients to make proper decisions? It's not just the home inspector. I think it's uh, it boils down to health and safety. You know what are what are health and safety concerns, and then I know as inspectors you can't you can't give quotes. Um, that's a lie. That's not true. I've, I give quotes all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Home inspector. In fact, we we actually. Or you can't have, make re referrals, right? We can make referrals too. There's well, then nothing I've been in misled. that. <laughs> yeah. My, there's nothing my whole in the career has been a lie up cannot. to this point. <laughs> Absolutely no. And and, and, and just uh, you, you hit a trigger on me. I got to go off my deep end here. <laughs> you know, if I went to a doctor and I had a problem with my knee and I need an orthopedic surgeon, if he handed me the yellow pages, I think I would kick him in the knee. All right. I trust. 
ask you and your opinion and your knowledge, and if you have somebody valuable, then you should refer them to me. Now, I don't want you getting a commission right. off of that referral. That's the quid pro quo that's illegal. Right. But just like you referring attorneys, home inspectors, mortgage brokers, do you do you refer somebody that you know is going to do a crappy job? Charlie, See, I, the yellow pages, I'm off. really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just dated myself, <laughs> didn't I? Oh, I'm so uh, sorry. <laughs> See, I went, I, I've never had inspectors uh, give quotes or referrals, but I do. I have uh, uh, people who work with me know I have the weird habit of when I'm driving down the street, if I see a work van somewhere or a truck, I take a picture of it and put it in a spreadsheet. Dude, that's so um, cool. Yeah, so it's... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a little weird at times, but and I've had I've gotten looks while I was doing it. But I also have preferred vendors that I work with consistently. But I'll always refer quotes to them. And you know, what, part of part of your job as a real estate agent is when you do get that inspection report, you sit down with your buyer and say, okay, here's what's a concern, here's what's not. Um, you know, because oftentimes you'll have buyers that'll say, well, if if it were your house, would you do X? And I I'll I'll yeah. tell people I'll say, you know what. Um, you know, if, if this were my home, I would get this fixed. I wouldn't worry about this. And really, it uh, it also comes down to what is the market like at that point? If it's a buyer's market, yeah, ask for anything you want. You know, ask for a credit and and or ask for it to be repaired. But um, but if it's a seller's market, you got to kind of just you know, like the last two years. Yeah, like the last two years. If if you found something on the inspection report, you know, you just gotta um, you know, sometimes you just have to say, Okay, well, we're gonna fix this ourselves. So yeah. that really depends. But I think at at the end of the day, you're you're an advocate for your buyer. You're there to counsel them and guide them through the process and, and part of your job is to sit down and look at the inspection report and walk walk through them and, and say, Hey, this is this would be a concern, this you should have repaired, this isn't that big of a deal. But yeah, please, I think, oh, I'm sorry, Patrick, real quick, and then yeah, I'll, sure. I'll give it back to you. But, you know, coming, you know, it's it's not that we're making decisions for our clients. Right. Please tell me that's not what you believe, right? No, I, you just, right. you you give them the you knowledge. Give them the knowledge intelligent right. decisions. Right. Beautiful. Patrick, I'm yeah. sorry I interrupted. Some, something to bear in mind, and maybe this sounds obvious, but, you know, consider that despite the 90-page report, the seller has most likely been living in this home, and the home has not yet killed them. So they're, they're, <laughs> exactly. that's where the seller's coming from. I'm going to steal that phrase. <laughs> I like that. Um, but, uh, Ryan, let me, let me say a phrase and, and tell me uh, if you have any strong feelings about it. Uh, beyond its useful life. X appliances beyond its useful life. And, and I suppose uh, the assumption there is that said appliance functions fully functional, no problems whatsoever. That's the kind of thing when I see on an inspection report, now I have to explain something <laughs> to the to the buyer and why that is not necessarily the most particularly helpful thing to 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 insert that that fear that 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 phrase is going to to cause right because you know again in in the uh, in the uh, we have two contracts that we use in our market, the 7.0 and then the car. And, and I believe both of them say, you know, if something's beyond its useful life, but it's still operating in the function that it was intended to, to operate in, you can't ask for anything, even though people do it all the time. Yeah, I literally have that, that phrase like burned into my mind. I probably <laughs> use that phrase with every single one of my buyer clients. Yeah. And, you know, in some, in some aspects, that's kind of subjective because I've had... I've seen air conditioning condensers and furnaces that have worked fine for you know I for thir seen, thirty plus yeah, years. Same it's here, just, 30, yeah, 35 years. Yeah. You don't know when they're going to quit. So yeah, if it's um, I mean, in cases like that, I usually ask people or I, I tell buyers to if if we can't if we're not in a good negotiating position if it's a seller's market if we have multiple offer situation. Um, you know, I say ask for a home warranty and see what happens. All know. right, with, with everything, every time we do this show, the time flies like yeah. there's no tomorrow. I want to throw Patrick under the bus here, real quick. <laughs> All right, I got so, lots of tired same thing with Joey, and you only got five <laughs> minutes to get this thing out of here. So, what what would an attorney or a mortgage broker have to do to make you break a relationship with them? I assume you trust the people that you work Absolutely. with. Absolutely, and. What would something have to happen for you to break the, or someone to break that trust with you? And I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm very, I'm very, I should say, stringent on this policy. If somebody, if somebody 
violates my trust or, or does something to harm a client, they get one shot, and then I, I, I usually move on. But really, I would say, um, I would say really either lie or do something that harms my client. Um, I, I've had I've had home inspectors in the past that um, after the inspection was done, I've had my buyer call me and say, you know, they were really kind of rude to me and they didn't answer any of my questions. So then I stopped using them. And then I've I had just a few months ago, not my referral, but I had a a client of mine use a attorney that was not mine. So I have no. Uh, uh, loyalty to this person but i won't throw their name out there after the closing my buyer was like the attorney charged me thirty five hundred dollars for a residential purchase i was like what i go that's insane i said you know trying to say this without using names but i I just said we bought this property as is we waived inspection because it's an investment property he's just going to gut rehab it i said so she didn't even need to negotiate AI items. All she did was sign off on that. I said, so there wasn't a lot of time involved in that. And then on top of it, he had an overage check that she did not send to him for like three weeks. And he couldn't get a hold of her, couldn't do anything. He couldn't even, in, and on top of it, she didn't even send him like the closing documents I had to. So that person, even though it was not my referral, I want to make that clear, that person, <laughs> if I ever see her on a deal, I'm going to tell my client, no, don't use her. That's amazing. I'm flabbergasted. And what about yeah. the mortgage people? And we are right. running short on time. Sim- similar, if they, um, you know, if they mislead a client, they don't communicate, um, they do something to to uh, harm the deal, harm my client. It's uh, your it's a one and done situation. And Joey, give me give me your contact information and reassure me that you're not that one and done company that he's talking about. My my goal in life is to weed all those people out. But six three zero. Two three five two four zero five the VA Loan Nerd or social media at the VA Loan Nerd. And take a moment, please, and just tell me about your pre-approval process, because every time I hear that, I'm just fascinated by it. And no, I mean, I, I I'll take on clients that have been pre-approved by big box lenders, whatever, or other lenders in general. I'm like, there's no way you should have been given a pre-approval. And I'll be honest with them. I'll be like, I'll tell you the steps that you need to take to get pre-approved. Right. But you were given toilet paper. So don't don't try to buy a house with this because you're going to be very upset. It just hurts. Uh, to, it hurts them as humans to do that. I literally you know? just did it yesterday and I felt awful. But yeah. I mean, he's he's within like three months of being able to buy. Thankfully, I was going to um, say, if, if I have time to share a really bad mortgage story, I will I'll do it quick. Okay. We got do it now. Less quick. than a minute. OK. Can I say the name of the company or should I not? Don't. OK, don't. I won't say it. I had a company last year that um, we were supposed to close on a Friday. We did not, and my my I was representing the sellers. My sellers had to buy their home in Cincinnati the following week. Um, this mortgage company didn't close on time. We couldn't get a hold of them. Turns out that their buyer had to attend some sort of online mortgage class. They did that. Then we found out they took the wrong class, so they had to take another one. Long story short, um, my my sellers had to take money out of their savings account to buy their new home while they waited for the proceeds. So something to look out for. Yeah, that is. Patrick, quickly, what's your contact info? 773-632-8330. Call or text. All right. And again, my name is Charlie Belfontaine with Chicagoland Home Inspectors. Our phone number is 312-544-9180. We got to close the show up. I want to give some thanks to Devin Tingle. He's our producer and makes everybody sound so good. (laughs) And then also, Bernie, I know you're listening. This is Charlie, and I'm out.